In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Our Wednesday lessons are taken from the daily Eucharistic lectionary, though I improperly recorded today's verses, which are actually from chapter 7. When the lectionary works well, the weekday lectionary picks up on themes that we have heard the previous Sunday, re-examines, opens up, reconsiders, looks again at what we have heard. And though that is not the case with our Old Testament lesson today, it is true this week with the Gospel lessons. They talk about the relationship of the law of Moses and the Christian faith, and that was certainly the topic of Matthew's lesson this Sunday. It is the topic of the lessons of today and the last two days of this week. That is good news for those of us who already preached on the Matthew lesson on Sunday. <laughs> I being one because it means the preacher has already begun to consider and look at the way this theme is handled. And yet, today's lesson presents something a little bit like a particularly taxing GOE question on Scripture. Because what our Lord has to say on Sunday directly contradicts what our Lord says today. You will remember, on Sunday we heard Jesus say, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but I have come to fulfill them. Until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter of the law, not one stroke of a letter, or as the King James Version has it, not one jot or tittle of the law will pass away until all of these things are accomplished. And today, Jesus seems to somewhat cavalierly toss out a whole category of the provisions of the law. Mark makes that clear with his aside. By these words, he pronounced all foods to be clean. So the preacher is left a little bit like a deer in the headlight, trying to pay attention to what our Lord has to say. And the same advice that is useful for GOEs is useful here. Step back, seek perspective, remember to breathe. Yesterday, I had the honor with some members of the faculty and some members of the Board of Trustees and a few staff members to participate in the intercultural competence training that many juniors and middlers took this past August. I was particularly struck by the film about the policies of the FHA in the early part of the 20th century and the effect those policies had on home ownership in African-American communities. It gave some background to the dictum of many real estate directors 
that the three most important things in seeking a property are location and location and location. The same building located in a black community might in the end have a value of one-tenth of a nearly identical property in a white neighborhood where prices were supported by FHA mortgages. Location, I think, is also very important when you look at biblical passages. A statement early in our Lord's ministry and after the resurrection have a different import. A word that comes on Holy Week and after the Pentecost have a different weight. And so while there is an apparent and there is an actual conflict in what our Lord is saying about the law of Moses, in part that is understandable in light of the location of those words. Luke I'm going to throw Luke in too because he's part of this competition as well. Luke is perhaps the most clear. He takes the same words that we have heard today. In this way, all foods were declared to be clean and moves it to the post-resurrection, post-Pentecost church. It is Peter and Cornelius receiving a vision sent by the Holy Spirit who come to this insight. And it is an insight that is then supported by the apostles gathered in Jerusalem in Acts 15. For Luke, the setting aside of the dietary law becomes his simplest and most clear example of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the church after Pentecost. Powered by the Holy Spirit, judgments about important things can be made, Serious they are, supported by multiple visions and by the accord of the people. As it says in Acts 15, it seems good to us and the Holy Spirit that we should make this change. Years ago, when my younger brother was a freshman in high school, he had one of those high school English teachers who was prone to the wonderful kind of hypocrisy hyperbole that teachers often need to deal with inattentive teenagers. And the teacher at one point said to him and to the class, you have an assignment due on this date. I will accept no late papers and I will accept no excuses. If it's not in, you will fail the assignment. You will fail this semester. No excuses, not even if you're in the hospital will I expect accept you from the requirement. When the assignment was due, my brother was in the hospital (laughs) with very serious internal bleeding that threatened his life. And we prayed and watched and he recovered. But when he began to regain his strength, he was terrified about ever facing that English teacher again. I went on his behalf to the teacher, and the teacher pointed out that the strong words that she had said were not to be applied to the end. There was compassion here somewhere. Now, if you go to Matthew, you get some language that could well have come out of that English teacher's mouth. He says, 
I want you to be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect? Unless your righteousness is greater than the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not see the kingdom of heaven? Not a letter, not a stroke of a letter will pass away until all these things are accomplished. There is a little bit of compassion built in if you look at location in Matthew's gospel. This announcement about the law comes at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. It comes up again in the 23rd chapter of Matthew in the midst of Holy Week. As again, a passage for which there is no parallel in Luke, there is serious consideration of the nature of the law and following it. And then if you turn over to 24, you will find all these things will happen, pass away, be accomplished, ginnamai, the same verb that Matthew has used in 5, before this generation has gone. In the light of the power of the resurrection, in the breaking in of the kingdom of God, in the near coming of the end times, perhaps Matthew has a place for compassion, for a setting aside of some of this law. So the law frames all that Jesus says in his public ministry, but we are hinted, pointed to a possible change as the end time draws near. I've always been curious about what Mark is up to, which, of course, brings us back to today's lesson. The disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. Yesterday's lesson, and today, therefore, Jesus is forced to answer the question, why would this be? Indeed, it's not a big deal. If you look at the Jewish law as it is encoded in the next century, it only takes one-eighth of a liter of water to wash your hands sufficiently to be ritually clean? Why is it they do not take that move at this moment? I can think of two reasons. The first is he is spoiling for a fight. Let's <laughs> come up with a point of conflict as a teaching device to attract the crowd. But the other would be this. Perhaps there is a moment in which it is physically impossible to follow the law about the washing of hands. Now, if you look at the location of this dialogue in Mark, you may well be inclined to that second answer. Because Mark puts this exchange right smack between the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. Now, if there's ever a time when it might be difficult to get every person one-eighth of a liter of water with which to wash their hands, it might be when you have 5,000 men and their children and spouses all in the wilderness in a deserted place where they have to sit down upon the ground. It may well be that what Mark is doing is defending the great feeding miracles of our Lord, which most likely did not follow all the provisions of ritual cleanliness. Mark puts them in the middle of that discussion. And then it leads on 
to the confession of Peter at Caesarea Philippi and the Transfiguration. When Jesus, who has fed, when Jesus, who has made a pronouncement about law, rises on high and is with Moses and Elijah, the vision of a lawgiver with one who has now interpreted and given law. For Mark, it is a vision of Christology. Why would you allow this to be said? Why would you remember it? Because it is the sign of the one to whom Peter called Lord and Savior. So this day, we continue to ponder the relationship of law and gospel. We see with Matthew that it is a sign of the near end, the approach of the kingdom of God. With Luke, a sign perhaps of the outpouring of the Spirit onto all the people of God. With Mark, a sign of clarity of the one who feeds us in the wilderness who rises on a mountain with Moses and Elijah and who is our Lord and Savior. By these words, he declared all food to be clean. Amen.